we're getting toward the latter stages of the book of Jeremiah. We came down to chapter 48 last time. This, uh, <clears throat> this context is changed from the difficulties of the Jews and their captivity to an end-time summation of some of the things that are going to happen in the world. And several chapters then deal with God and how he deals with the Gentiles. It begins in chapter 46, first against Egypt, which we discussed last time. Egypt being a type of sin in the world and of the world's societies, going to back to Semiramis and Nimrod. So Egypt is not speaking here just of that country on the Nile in North Africa, but I think in general of the system, because you only have basically two divisions of people on the face of the earth. You've got Israel, whom God chose to make an example to the nations and to help lead the nations ultimately to God, and then you have those nations apart from Israel, the Gentiles, who will ultimately, most of them, be converted, whether it be in this life or in the millennium or the great white throne judgment. So the Bible is written from the standpoint of Israel and all of those nations who interact with Israel around her, neighbors, friends, and so on, enemies. And Egypt goes back a long way as being a captor of the Israelite people and became symbolic of sin, as we said uh, at Passover in the days of unleavened bread. Go not to Egypt. And we found some of the Jews who were left by Babylon going back to Egypt. So instead of going where God said they could go and be in captivity 70 years, they decided they would go to Egypt for protection. So God sent Babylon down there and killed them as well. So Egypt has a history with God's people Israel. Then we discuss in chapter 47 the Philistines, and these are end-time prophecies, so it doesn't just have to do with that little kingdom along the seashore of Israel at the time Israel came into the land. It has to do with peoples today, and this section basically deals with all the friends, neighbors, and enemies of Israel. Today we have a much broader uh, community, a much bigger community. Instead of the world existing just in that little Mediterranean circle, now we have a worldwide community. And if you look at Israel today, we are very, very much involved with all the nations of the world, are we not? Uh, militarily, politically, economically, uh, we stand forth as the only superpower in this time, and the world pretty much has to do what we say. That will change dramatically and soon, but up to this point, the last 50 years or so, that has been the case. Well, you might even say clear back to World War I, uh, when we vanquished some elements in Europe and took ascendancy on the world stage. No one's been able much to argue with us since. So this has to do with those peoples who will be arrayed against Israel here at the end time, not just those ancient ones. So let's go to chapter 48. It addresses another, not only 
uh, neighbor, but relatives of Israel. Talks about Moab. Now, traditionally, we have considered Moab to be the country of Jordan, whose capital is Ammon. Moab and Ammon were together uh, as cousins, actually, because Moab is the it came through the oldest daughter of Lot, Lot being the brother of Abraham. So they're cousins of ours. We tend to, I think, in our minds, lump all Arabs uh, in one pot, and yet that is really not the case. These people have legitimate blood through Abraham. Different direction. Israel, they're not Israelites because through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob came Israel, Jacob being named Israel. Through Lot came these people. So even though Lot was a brother of Abraham, it's through a totally different line that Ammon and Mo and uh, Moab and Ammon have come down. But you remember the incident where the two daughters of Lot took advantage of their father, thinking that only those three people were left on the face of the earth after Sodom and Gomorrah were wiped out. And through that incestuous relationship came Moab and Ammon. But it says, against Moab, thus says the eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, Woe to Nebo. Nebo is a mountain uh, along the range of hills uh, east of the Dead Sea, the Jordan Rift Valley. Uh, so that place is where those people were historically to the east of the land of Israel today. So those are the ancient peoples that this is discussing, but we're talking here in this modern end-time prophecy of peoples today. Now, before we go on with this declaration of anger of God against Moab, I want to go back for a few moments to Isaiah 15. We did cover Isaiah recently, but I want to show you here <coughs> that the relationship is not just between, let's say, the United States or the countries of Israel and uh, these Arab countries, but it also pertains to the church, because the church also has enemies in the end time, and it has neighbors that dwell around it. Let's go to Isaiah 15. Here is the burden of Moab. There is a section in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, and in Ezekiel of a burden against Moab and against Ammon. Because in the night of art of Moab is laid waste and brought to silence. Uh, so it mentions some of the cities of those peoples and so on. It mentions Mount Nebo again in the end of the chapter, or verse 3. Uh, verse 5, my heart shall cry out for Moab, his fugitives shall flee to Zoar, uh, which was down, it means small, it was on the southeast corner of the Salt Sea. Uh, notice verse 7, therefore the abundance they have gotten, and that which they have laid up, shall they carry away to the brook of the willows. For the cry has gone round about the borders of Moab, the howling thereof to Eglium, and the howling thereof to Berilam, for the waters of Demon shall be full of blood, for I will bring more upon Demon, or bring lions upon him that escapes of Moab, and upon the remnant of the land. But then let's see what it says. Send ye the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah, or the rock, 
to the wilderness, to the mount of the daughter of Zion. The mountain of the daughter of Zion, an end-time prophecy, is going to be in a wilderness. Uh, a mistake is made in thinking that the little hill outside Jerusalem is the only Zion there is. And with that in mind, people think that every reference to Zion has to do with that. But it doesn't, and I think Scripture bears that out. Uh, Zion, that Zion is not out in the wilderness somewhere. It's right there at the corner of Jerusalem. And on the hill of Zion was David's throne inside the wall. So this is something different. This is in the wilderness. The mountain of the daughter of Zion is in the wilderness. So the daughter of Zion in the end time, we've seen from so many scriptures, is the church. So this reference is in part to the church. So someone in the form of a lamb, which would be from a, a meek and humble standpoint as a court as opposed to with great power, will be sent to the mount of the daughter of Zion, or send the lamb to the ruler of the land, and around the, this mountain, where it shall be, that is a wandering bird cast out of the nest, so the daughters of Moab shall be at the forts of Arnon, uh, which means joy. Uh, God's church is going to receive joy. We read Isaiah 54 and 55 the other day, on the last day of Purim, to show that God will return his blessing to his bride to be the end-time remnant of the church. And it is a very joyous occasion. So where God gathers his people together is going to be turned into joy, just as the fasts of the months about the siege on Jerusalem or the church will be turned to peace of joy. So this will be at the forts of Arnon, where joy comes forth. Now that doesn't mean the ancient river of Arnon, but it is a much broader view in geography than we had back then. And Israel is not where Israel was back then. Israel is scattered around the world in various nations that God gave us since then. So he says, take counsel, or be careful, uh, think wisely, execute judgment, Make your shadow as the night in the midst of the noonday. You remember how Nehemiah went out to assess the damage of the walls of Jerusalem at night because there are enemies around. It says, Hide the outcasts, betray not him that wanders. Let my outcast dwell with you, Moab. Well, who are the outcasts of God? Those who are cast out by the world, those who will not go along with the beast system, are God's outcasts. And Moab is told to take care of them. So this is a definite reference, I believe, to the church, not just the United States or uh, other nations of Israel and the nation of Jordan, but to God's people in a wilderness, wherever that may be. And I'm not going to go into all the things about Zion. I think we pretty much understand that now that we are to stay in our own land, and it is a land of far distances, and many other scriptures to show that this Zion is in the present-day nation of Israel, or the United States. And I believe that the place of safety ultimately will be in the United States, and that there will be the name of God placed on it, and it will be Zion. 
Now, further explanation of that, which we've had before, we'll move on. But I want it to be clear here that Moab is to be a cobra to them from the base of the spoiler. Now, if we can establish that God's people do not leave their land, but that they are to get out of the midst of Babylon and out into the wilderness and the mountains and the desert, and it is in the United States, in our own land, then some of these people, having to do with Moab and Ammon, must also be among Israelites. Just as they were in the ancient promised land, that seems to indicate to me that they would be in the end time. Now, this fit neatly together when we thought that we were going to Petra. But I think it can be shown in Scripture that Petra is not the place of safety, but that it is in the land where God's spiritual Jews are, and 90-some percent of those were in the United States of America. It is interesting that the only place that is named Moab in the world, get out your atlas and check it, is Moab, Utah. And very, uh, I think it's becoming fairly clear that some of those people who may have been the Mormon church originators, who were somewhat blonde and redheaded, many of them, may be uh, descendants of Esau or Edom, which we'll get to shortly, and perhaps of Ammon and Moab. And they are told, Moab here particularly, to take care of God's people. I think everyone realizes the Mormons are a little different than anyone else, and they are living in the land of the Utes, which is also mentioned in Scripture. <coughs> Utah, Judah, or Utah. Uh, Judah without the silent J is Utah. So this may be a place where God has sent some Jews, perhaps some Edomites, Moabites, and Ammonites. And they're not that different in terms of looking at them. Remember, we're all related. Well, that's probably enough of that. I covered it in more detail when we went through Isaiah, so you can take reference to that if you want more detail. And uh, other sermons have gone into it as well. So let's go back to Jeremiah 48. I want to finish this section today. But if indeed it is talking about some people here, and on, the, and on the world scene it is also talking about those people who are still in Jordan today, the country of Jordan, uh, it can have reference to both. And that ties in very well with the view that we've had of uh, the way the Bible prophecies are written. That it applies first to the church, secondarily to the world. So if there is a part of those peoples here in America today who are commanded to take care of, care of God's people, then there are those, uh, his church, then there are those in the Holy Land still, or the Middle East more properly, who also will be on the world scene. But wherever they are, the fate is the same. There shall be no more praise of Moab, verse 2 of Jeremiah 48. In Heshbon they have devised evil against it. Come and let us cut it off from being a people. Also you shall be cut down, O madmen. Uh, the sword shall pursue you. That's an interesting word, madmen. <laughs> some, some crazy people. 
The voice of crying shall be from Horonaim, spoiling and great destruction. Moab is destroyed. Her little ones have caused the cry to be heard. When the going up of Luhith, continual weeping shall go up. Now, this could be to the peoples around us where we are physically living now, so it can apply to us. I mean, you read these and they're kind of dry. I, I, I know that. And yet, on the other hand, when you understand the fullness of what is going to happen on the world scene shortly, these people will come in prominence. But we are talking about the neighbors and the enemies of the nation of nations of Israel today, America, and we're also talking about enemies of the church. So both apply. Can you hear? Talk a little louder. More blessing from the sky. I don't I don't believe that's rain. It sounds more like the sleep that we had a little earlier. It's all got moisture in it. Maybe it'll ease up here a little bit or it has just a pad. So we may be talking here about some of the neighbors around us in these towns that we visit, shop in, and work in. That makes it very real. That they are to protect us and that the things that they have saved up could be used for our benefit. God may run them off. They may be destroyed in some form or fashion. And uh, it's interesting, the Mormon Church, part of their doctrine is that each family have three years of food and everything they need to preserve their lives laid up. Whether or not God's people will have access to some of that perhaps remains to be seen, but Isaiah 15 and 16 seem to indicate that that may indeed be the case. Well, this is something way off. It could apply to us. So he's telling them, you're going to be destroyed. Verse 6, flee, save your lives, and be like the heath in the wilderness, hides from the hunters. For because you have trusted in your works and in your treasures, you shall also be taken. So these people have laid up guns, ammunition, food, water, all the things that they say are needed to preserve them. And God tells them, flee. Leave behind what you have. You've trusted in your works and in your treasures, the things that you've laid up, your treasure, and won't save you. God is capable of running anyone off he wants to run off. But you will be taken, he says. And Shemosh shall go forth into captivity with his priests and his princes together. I don't think we have to go into all the detail and look up every word here uh, of each of these towns, because just as many towns of ancient Israel are mentioned, and we translate it today from uh, ancient names of towns in Israel, today those towns are Detroit and New York and Miami and Chicago and so on, because those are the cities of Israel. So the prophecies apply to them the same way that they do to those original ancient cities. It's just talking about the cities of Israel. And there are many more of those on a broader world stage today than there were then. <laughs> so the same is true wherever the descendants of the ancient peoples of the Middle East went. And they've gone all over the world. So where, some, where, those, where there are pockets of those people, these scriptures still apply. 
Verse 8, And the spoiler shall come upon every city, and no city shall escape. The valley also shall perish, and the plain shall be destroyed, as the Eternal has spoken. Give wings to Moab, that it may flee and get away. For the cities thereof shall be desolate, without any to dwell therein. Cursed be he that does the work of the Eternal deceitfully. And cursed be he that keeps back his sword from blood. Now, if this has indeed a reference in part, not entirely, but in part to the Mormon church, they do the work of God very deceitfully. They do not understand what Christianity is and are not Christian people, even though they claim to be the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. We saw a scripture earlier that showed who the Latter-day Saints are, and that's us. God's people, as called out ones, are the Latter-day Saints. So they do that deceitfully, and not only is it just a false religion, based on, I think, the demon Moroni's visions to Joseph Smith, but they are also involved in the New World Order, up to here. The people who originated the Mormon Church were Masons, and the Mormon Church today is tied in very tightly with Mason or Freemasonry. Freemasonry is the power behind the New World Order. So even though they sit here as a so-called Christian church preaching Christ, they are doing it, at least from a leadership standpoint, probably whatever Mormon on the street understands what's going on. But once you get about the 30, 30th degree of Masonry, you actually make vows to the devil. And the Mormon church is run by people who are 33-degree Masons, as high as you can go in Masonry. So there is deceit there, and they are not even what they say they are. There is more behind the scenes and in the story than they would be willing to tell us. Verse 11, Moab has been at ease from his youth, and he has settled on his lees, and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, neither has he gone into captivity. The country of Jordan and those people have been in that land for all these centuries, have never been displaced or moved around. They've stayed there, except those who left on their own, and some of them may be right here around us. But they have been able to sit back while wars have raged in other places, and even though they've had their difficulties through the centuries, they've not been displaced and hauled off anywhere. They've sat right there and just sort of leaned back on the oars, which is what that means. It's actually a winemaking turn settled on its leaves. But it has to do with sitting basically in comfort. Therefore, his taste remained in him, and his scent has not changed. He still looks, smells about the same way he did. 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. Therefore, behold, the days come, says the Eternal, that I will send unto him wanderers that shall cause him to wander and shall empty his vessels and break their bottles. Uh, some of them may have wandered over here, but their vessels and their bottles will be empty. And Moab shall be ashamed of Shemosh, as the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, their confidence. <laughs> so whatever they put their confidence in, just as Israel did as a, they made Bethel a center of worship to keep peace and so on, and 
they sinned there, and God destroyed it. Same will happen to Moab. Verse 14, how say you, we are mighty and strong men for the war? Moab is spoiled and gone up out of her cities, and his chosen young men are gone down to the slaughter, says the king whose name is the Lord of hosts. Makes me wonder how much even the country of Jordan and the Middle East might become involved in the movement against the evil nation of the United States. Uh, the whole Islamic movement is against the West, particularly America, but they will be spoiled as well. The calamity of Moab is near to come, and his affliction hates fast. So God is telling us here. Now, we'll get to chapter 50, which is more interesting for us. But God is laying out here these enemies of ours who are about to be a part of the alliance to destroy us and what will happen to them as a result of what they do to Israel. Now, that has always been the case. God would use the Assyrian or whoever to punish Israel for her sins, but then he would be upset with those who delivered the blows. They too willingly have gone to war and destroyed Israel in the past and will again. So even though God may not be happy with his children, they're still his children. And even though God may punish his children greatly to straighten them out, he is not happy with those who would inflict damage and hurt to his people. They are his children. God believes in tough love. And he uses those peoples to put that tough love on us. And all be happy, happy all the time, because that is not the way God does it. Do you think God lives in fear of us? Do you think he is so afraid of losing Israel that he won't punish us? No, he said he punishes every son whom he loves. That's how he gets our attention, is by not living in fear of us. He says, we're worms, O thou worm Jacob. If you're not respected, you will not be loved, ultimately. Respect has to come first. And we will learn to fear and respect God, and then love will come. That's the way it works. Now, these people are going to be punished as a result of their what they do to us as a nation and as a church. And then they, too, are going to have opportunity. But not until that punishment is come. Because pride has to go away. God hates pride. God hates vanity and ego. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So if we are proud... God will keep the pressure on us until we become meek and humble. That's just the bottom line. If we are in rebellion and I shake our fist at God's face, what do we expect in return? God will not sneeze at that. He will not be mocked. That's all there is to it. So the troubles, trials, and tribulations that both the church and the nation are suffering or because God wants us to be humbled. That's just all it amounts to. When we're humbled, we turn to God with our whole heart, 
that he will bless us. Same thing is true. So these afflictions on these peoples are coming as well. Verse 17, all you that are about him, bemoan him. And all you that know his name, say, how is the strong staff broken and the beautiful rod? But, you know, Jordan, Ammon, Moab have been a pretty stable country compared to some over the millenniums. And then you say, well, how is this also going to be destroyed? You daughter that does inhabit Dibon, come down from your glory and sit in thirst. For the spoiler of Moab shall come upon you, and he shall destroy your strongholds. O inhabitant of Aroer, stand by the way, and espy, or see. Ask him that flees, and her that escaped, and say, what is done? So stand by, and these people are going to be fleeing. What's going on? What's happened? Moab is confounded, for it is broken down. In other words, confused, frustrated, torn apart. Howl and cry. Tell you it in Arnon that Moab is spoiled. We're in the fords of Arnon, our joy, where God turns our affliction and our punishment into joy and peace and prosperity. Then from that viewpoint, we would notate that Moab is spoiled. And judgment has come upon the plain country, upon different places, cities. Uh, I won't read all of those. Verse 25, the horn of Moab, the power, is cut off. His arm is broken says the eternal. So the head and the arm represent the will and the mind as well as the capacity to do physical labor. In other words, it'll be defeat, no power. Make you him drunken, for he magnified himself against the eternal. Moab also shall wallow in his vomit, and he shall also be in derision. Drunken means unable to think clearly. If you turn against God's people, God's anger is going to come on you. It's as simple as that. For was not Israel a derision to you? Was he found among thieves? Or since you speak of him, you skipped for joy. <coughs> They're going to skip for joy when they see this nation destroyed. God's going to say, didn't you take pleasure in that? You did. I saw you laughing down there in America. Now you get yours. So this is coming. He's telling them what is going to happen to them as a result of what they do to us before they ever do it. Our destruction is not foretold until chapter 50 and 51. So this desolation that's coming on them is something that happens after chapters 50 and 51. But God tells them ahead of time before they even do it what will come up upon them as a result of it. There is cause and effect, and God wants them to know ahead of time. Israel was sarcasm and laughter to you. You delighted in their fall. Verse 28, O you that dwell in Moab, leave the cities and dwell in the rock. Your cities will be destroyed, as we saw above. You better go find a place in the rocks to hide. So it's not just God's people who are taken into a rocky fastness in the wilderness and the deserts and the mountains. But he tells Moab, if you're going to live, you better go find yourself a cave. Be like the dove that makes her nest in the sides of the cave's mouth or the hole in the rock. We have heard the pride of Moab. He is exceeding proud, his loftiness and his arrogancy and his pride and the haughtiness of his heart. 
those people over there are very proud people. You don't uh, you don't deride them and put them down without them getting angry about it because they are very proud. That kind of goes with being human, doesn't it? Seems like anywhere you go, you find proud people. Arnold and I were just talking this morning about people who are vain but don't have anything to be vain about. Seems, you know. But that's all human beings. We really don't have anything. Any of us, even the most gifted, have nothing to be proud about. If we compare ourselves to the God who made the universe and the world and has all the power of the universe, we really have nothing to be proud or vain about. Did we make ourselves? Did we build our own brains? Did we make our looks? Or did we sort of just grow up with whatever was there? You know, you may look in the mirror and think you're beautiful, but did you do it? No. You're just the product of the genetic pool that you came from. We won't discuss types of pools, but there are different kinds. We sometimes joke about being people being taken out of the gene pool. You know? But really, what do any of us have to be proud about? And yet, all these peoples have great national pride and sovereignty. And that's one of the things that's going to happen here at the end, is all the borders of the nations will be removed, and a lot of the pride will be removed with it. Verse 30, I know his wrath is eternal, but it shall not be so. That wrath is going to be turned away, and that pride is going to be destroyed. His life shall not so affect it. Therefore will I howl for Moab, and I will cry out for all Moab. My heart shall mourn for the mind or the men of Kirhiris. Uh, o vine of Sibna, I will weep for you with the weeping of Jazir. Your plants are gone over the sea. They reach even to the city of Jazir. The spoiler is fallen upon your summer fruits and upon your vintage. Makes me wonder if some of this stuff's not going to come down toward the beginning of summer. Don't know. Or the end of summer. At least on them. We're not talking about Israel here. We're talking about Moab. And joy and gladness is taken from the plentiful field and from the land of Moab, and I have caused wine to fail from the wine presses. None shall tread with shouting. So we've got all those scriptures about Israel showing how we're going to be destroyed, but so are the rest of the peoples. They're going to go into the same thing. Now, you want to throw in with this world, or are you going to throw in with God? Now, we're promised that a order will come out for all of us to be killed, but then on the other hand, God issues an order against the whole world. Whose side do you want to be on? It's just that America's apparently comes first. <laughs> These others will get theirs afterward. So if you leave God and throw in with the beast in the world, you go from where? Frying pan to fire. Yeah, we gained the thing. Because these people also are going to be spoiled. Uh, I've caused wine to fail in the verse 33. None shall tread with shouting. Their shouting shall be no shouting. From the cry of Heshbon, even to all these other towns, have they uttered their voice from Zoar and so on. As a heifer of three years old, 
for the waters also of Nimrim shall be desolate. I suppose that would be like a heifer bawling for grass when there is none. You know, animals get hungry, they begin to let you know about it. Moreover, I will cause to cease in Moab, says Eternal, him that offers in the high places and him that burns incense to his gods. So, Mohammed's going away. All these gods are not going to be gods anymore. They'll realize that their gods aren't saving them. God has done that a lot of times, hasn't he? He's made a fool out of their gods. That's what Elijah did back with the priests of Baal. He even set it up that way. And then watched all day while they screamed and fled and prayed to Baal and cut themselves and did all their religious rites and Baal never answered. So then he threw water all over everything, sacrificed the wood and everything else, and then God destroyed it with fire from heaven. So God is going to make fools of all their gods. Now we already know that those gods are not real gods, but they don't know it. And they've got to be made to know it. Therefore my heart shall sound for Moab like pipe, pipes, and my heart shall sound like pipes for the men of Kirhemus, <coughs> because the riches that he has gotten are perished. Those countries over there have great riches, based mainly on oil, and even the Mormon church here, who may be also involved in this, is a very, very rich establishment, and growing very rapidly right now. Verse 37, For every head shall be bald, and every beard clipped. On all the hands shall be cuttings, and upon the loins sackcloth. Now, I, I would feel sorry and sorrow for these people that I've met around here in these towns and villages around us. There's some very nice people. Good people, as far as that's concerned. They are totally deceived. Satan has deceived the whole world. They don't understand just like those people in Jordan don't understand. They don't understand God. They don't understand creation. They don't understand why people are on the earth. They don't understand much of anything. But they have been led into total deception and are not following what God intended to be followed on the earth at all. And not only that, they then become enemies of God's people, physical Israel and spiritual, and Therefore, enemies of God, without even knowing they're in that category. So God has to change that view, and it takes a great deal of hurt and grief before they begin to be humble enough to even begin to recognize who the true God is. And that's true of all Gentile peoples, and it's true of Israel, because even physical Israelites have lost view of who the real God is. They don't know him. They worship they know not what. It's like when Moses came to deliver Israel from Egypt. And he says, God will save you. Remember what they said in Exodus? Who is this God? What is his name? They have no idea. Then they got introduced to some plagues. Finally a difference was made and they began to say, well, whoever this God is, uh, he's able to make a difference. And then they sang when they crossed the Red Sea and rejoicing that God had saved them. Maybe by then they'd been educated enough 
but they knew who God was. But they didn't know going in. They did coming out. And these nations don't know going in, nor do we, but we'll sure know coming out. Verse 38, there should be lamentation generally upon all the housetops of Moab and in the streets thereof, for I have broken Moab like a vessel wherein is no pleasure, says the Eternal. Like taking a clay pot, throwing it on the concrete. That's what you do with something in which you have no pleasure. They shall howl, saying, how is it broken? How did this happen? Can you imagine some of these great religions on earth, particularly perhaps the Mormon we're discussing here, in some of these proud countries in the Middle East who think that Allah is going to save them or in the local situation that Jesus Christ is, and their whole world comes apart. Now they'll howl. Now wonder how it's done. How has Moab turned the back with shame? So shall Moab, Moab be a derision and a dismay to all them about him. There's quite a little space in the Bible set aside for this. Brothers of Abraham. For thus says the eternal, verse 40, Behold, he shall fly as an eagle, and shall spread his wings over Moab. Kirioth is taken, and the strongholds are surprised, and the mighty men's hearts are in Moab at that day, shall be as the heart of a woman in her pangs. Do these peoples really think they're going down? No. The Arabic world thinks it will destroy America. And indeed, they will be in on it. They won't lead it, but they'll be in on it, as we shall see in Scripture very clearly. There's not going to be them leading the charge. They'll be destroyed, and it will come upon them as a great surprise. Fear and the pit and the snare shall be upon you, O inhabitant of Moab, says the Eternal. He that flees from the fear shall fall into the pit. He that gets up out of the pit shall be taken in the snare. Reminds me of a proverb, book of Proverbs. For I will bring upon it, even upon Moab, the year of their visitation, says the Eternal. They that fled stood under the shadow of Heshbon because of the force. But a fire shall come forth out of Heshbon, and a flame from the midst of Sihon, and shall devour the corner of Moab and the crown of the head of the tumultuous ones, the wild ones, the angry ones, those who raise a tumult, or as God said of Ishmael, a wild ass of a man. Woe be to you, O Moab! People Chemosh perishes, for your sons are taken captives, and your daughters captives. Yet will I turn around the captivity of Moab in the latter days, says the Eternal. Thus far is the judgment of Moab. So there's a punishment coming. But God says he eventually will turn it around, be taken away, just like it will with Israel, and like it will be with the church. And he doesn't pronounce final judgment here. He says, thus far is the judgment of Moab. So, how they respond, what they do after being destroyed will have to do with God's final judgment of that. So, it apparently is not complete. You know, how should we treat our enemies? These people have traditionally basically been our enemies. Uh, neighbors that are not happy with us. What does Christ tell us? Love your enemies. Do good to them to despitefully use you and persecute you. So we're not to have attitudes against them, necessarily. They are what they are. 
and they've been deceived by the devil. Let God deal with it, and we don't need to come to hate them. We don't need to despise them. In fact, we're told specifically not to, to despise Esau or Edom. It was our brother, Jacob's brother, and we're Jacob. So we, I mean, we can see what God has pronounced in the book of Obadiah. We'll get to them here in just a little bit. But why should we become angry against them? God is using them as a tool to punish us and give us what we richly deserve, and then he will deal with them. So what do we have to be upset about? Are we so proud that we think nobody should hurt us? Marla was listening to a former minister. Well, he's dead now, but they still got his tapes on TV. She woke up early the other morning and was listening to the program. Well, the leading evangelist in formerly in Worldwide. But he said, how, how was it she said he put it? Uh, anybody that thinks America is doing anything wrong or to hurt anyone overseas is nuts. And I thought, there is a total misunderstanding of the people that run this country. They are themselves 33-degree Masons, a lot of them, and not only Masons, but the last two who ran for president were both Masons and Skull and Bones, which is a secret order in Masonry. And they are a part of the New World Order. They are cousins. John Kerry is named Cohen, not Kerry is his original name. Probably an Edomite, I would think. All these people are related all the way back. Nearly all the presidents of the United States all the way back are blood-related. And they are part of the New World Order. They actually think that they have Christ's blood flowing in their veins. That's why they are the illumined ones, the ones with understanding. This all started back in 1770 or so, when a group called the Sabbateans emerged. It had nothing to do with the Sabbath, but they believed that Jesus Christ did not die, but married Mary Magdalene and went to France. And that they then are the direct descendants of Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene. So it should not be any stretch of the imagination that someday they will set someone on a throne and claim that he is Christ. He has the blood of Christ flowing in his veins. The Sabbateans the Catholic Jesuits, who are truly evil people, and the Rosicrucians, which means they have the blood of Christ in its name, and the York and Scottish Rites of Freemasonry, are all combined behind the scenes. They are, most of them, blood-related. They include the European and American bankers and politicians, and they pass the offices along to blood brothers. It was French Freemasons who gave us the symbol of our country, the Statue of Liberty, which is full of paganism. 
and it is Masons who laid out Washington, D.C. So we had the Masonic Order who came in. This land was given to Israel, I kid you not, by God. But it is ruled by Illuminati, Masonics, and has been from day one. Nearly every president, perhaps excepting Abraham Lincoln, were 33-degree Masons. Ronald Reagan was not when he took office. You know how busy presidents are? How did he have time to become a Mason? And yet he was made an honorary, honorary, not ordinary, a 33-degree Mason while in office. You do not hold that office without subjecting yourself to those people. Now when we talk about these Arabic peoples, and what they are doing, most of the kings, the sheikhs, the leadership of the Arab world, does this surprise you, are 33-degree Masons. It's hooked up and hooked together throughout the world. What they are about to do to America is a worldwide coalition. And these people that we're reading about right here are not apart from that, but actually are part of it. They don't have any problem training these people to be suicide bombers, do they? All they are is pawns to create a war in the Middle East that will end all wars and allow their people to take charge of Jerusalem as the international capital of the world of peace and the wonderful world tomorrow ruled by the elite brothers, blood brothers, or sons of Jesus Christ. And it will be built that way. So they are using these suicide bombers to stir up trouble, to get the war to come, to destroy the great Satan in America, which is the last thing standing in their way before they can usher in their thousand-year millennium of peace under their Christ. Can we see a little more clearly why God has this to say about these rulers of these different nations who are arrayed against Israel? Because Israel is their main target. Why? Because Satan the devil is the one that's behind the whole thing and the one that has fed this information to these people and caused them to be what they are today. And he knows what God is doing with Israel and what God is doing with spiritual Israel, his church. And that is what he hates the most. I won't go into that more. There is a great deal more. And there are many, many books written about it. But you'd be surprised at how many people around the world are tied into this who are in leadership positions. And God knows it. And he will punish each accordingly. Now, Ammon is, uh, through the other daughter of Lot, Chapter 49 opens with the same basic thing about Ammon as about Moab. They're cousins through the sisters of Lot. Concerning the Ammonites, thus says the Eternal, Has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then does their king inherit Gad and his people dwell in his cities? Uh, apparently in history, Ammon took over Gad 
when Assyria took Gad captive. So they moved in where Gad had been. Uh, Judah should have gotten it. Gad is today, as we, if we've identified it correctly, is Switzerland. <laughs> well, he says, where are Israel's sons? Where are they? Why did the Ammonites take over part of Israel's land? Therefore, behold, the days come, says the Eternal, that I will cause an alarm of war to be heard in Rabbah of the Ammonites, and it shall be a desolate heap, and her daughter shall be burned with fire. Then shall Israel be heir to them that were his heirs, says the Eternal. In other words, it's all coming back to Israel someday. They'll be the heirs instead of the ones that the Ammonites would think should be the heirs. Howl, O Heshbon, for Ai is spoiled. Cry, you daughters of Rabbah. Gird you with sackcloth, lament, and run to and fro by the hedges, for their king shall go into captivity and his priests and his princes together. Wherefore glory you in the valleys, the flowing valley, O backsliding daughter, trusted in her treasure, saying, Who shall come to me? Who can give me any trouble? All is with me. Behold, I will bring a fear upon you, says the eternal God of hosts, from all those that be about you, and you shall be driven out every man right forth, and none shall gather up him that wanders. No one will care. He'll wander out there trying to hide, and no one will care. And afterward I will bring again, or bring back the captivity of the children of Ammon, says the eternal. So he shortens this prophecy, Moab being the older brother, and essentially the prophecy is the same. So he just shortens it. We don't have to read a whole chapter about them. Then he goes to verse 7 concerning Edom. Thus says the eternal host, is wisdom no more in Teman? We have felt over the years that the Ottoman Empire, basically in Turkey, uh, was for the most part Edom, and that may be pretty much the case, but I think there are Edomites around us today. Let's go back for a moment to Genesis 27 and see that. Genesis 27. This has to do with the blessing to Jacob and to Esau, such as it was. <coughs> Remember, there was the cross-up and the deception by Rachel and Jacob. So the blessing went to Jacob, but Esau anticipated for himself. He sold it out for a bowl of red soup. So Jacob got the greater blessing. So then Esau comes in and says, well, bless me. And then Jacob realized what had happened. And he says, well, there's not much left. I'll do what I can for you, sort of. Verse 39. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. So they would have fatness of the earth. And if you look at those countries today, doesn't oil make you pretty fat? With a great deal of treasure and richness there. Uh, and by your sword shall you live, and shall serve your brother. Now, if he's going to serve his brother, then wherever his brother went, there would be Edomites there uh, to serve the brother. And it shall come to pass, when you shall have the dominion, that you shall break his yoke from off your neck. So Jacob would hold a yoke over Edom, through the centuries, through the millennia, actually. And then at the end, Esau would break that yoke of Jacob. 
And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. So there has been animosity, hatred, and murder in Esau and Edom's heart against Jacob ever since. Now they have been a very secretive people. They have wormed their way into Jacob. They have been involved in the finances. They're even known as Jews, but they're Ashkenazi Jews. And the people north of Turkey and the country of the land that was in Elam back in those days, many of those peoples converted into Judaism, the religion of Judaism. And today, they say they are Jews, and they are not. Well, many of the Jews who are behind the banking world and the financial world in this nation today are not actual Jews by blood, but they are Edomites converted to Judaism and appear to be Jews. And they are coming to have dominion over us. I suspect greatly that Alan Greenspan was not a Jew, but he is indeed an Edomite. He was in charge of the finances, lending them to the United States. And through his and the other bankers and central bankers of the world, especially in Europe and in the United States, have America by the throat now. And they are in the position to shake our dominion off them. Most of you realize and know that the Federal Reserve is not a part of the federal government at all. It is a private banking concern consisting of ten families who own major banks in Europe and in America. And even though the Constitution of the United States says that only the government can print money, that that money must be backed by something precious like gold or silver, that was done away with. And the national debt of America is owed to the Federal Reserve. The government does not print money. The Federal Reserve does. They gave it a name, Federal Reserve, so it sounded like part of the government. But it is not. It is a banking conglomerate. So every dollar that is printed is lent to the United States government. Therefore, all the trillions of dollars that are around the world today are loans to us. They are not our dollars. The God they trust in that is printed on the dollar bill is Satan, Lucifer. Well, they call him Lucifer, the God of light. And they believe that Lucifer is the true God, and Adonai, Jesus Christ, is the false God of darkness. That's why they are illuminated, or the Illuminati. They make the rules and the laws for the United States of America behind the scenes, and every dollar that is in your pocket has the Masonic all-seeing eye on it. And it is not, it does not belong to the United States government. It belongs to those bankers. Therefore, we are in a debt up to here, way above our heads. And if you owe that much and you cannot pay, you don't have any value to pay it back with, what happens? 
your mortgage is called. And they now own the United States. I mean, they, they can foreclose on our homes, our land, anything they want to. They've been changing the rules lately so that now if someone who is a bigger fish wants your land for a commercial purpose that will create more taxes, the rule of eminent domain has been made that they can take your land. You have to move off. That's the way it is. It's being fought by some today, but that's the rule in our country today. Somebody bigger wants your land. They can have it. Go away. And a lot of this has to do with Edom. So let's read about Edom here, verse 7. Concerning Edom, thus says the eternal of hosts, is wisdom no more in Ottoman or the Ottoman Empire? Uh, is counsel perished from the prudent? Is their wisdom vanished? Have these people gone crazy, it says? Flee you, turn back, dwell deep, O inhabitants of Dedan, for I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him the time that I will visit him. I'm not going back into the book of Obadiah today. Uh, that's in the Minor Prophets series, but there's a great deal of detail, some of which I just went back over, and more in that sermon on Obadiah. So if you want to tie that in with this, it's on the website, or the tape can be had. If grape gatherers come to you, would they not leave some gleaning grapes? If thieves by night, they will destroy till they have enough. But I have made Esau bare. I have uncovered his secret places, and he shall not be able to hide himself. Now that implies that Esau, Edom, has been behind the scenes doing the dirty work of setting Jacob up to be destroyed so that the yoke of Jacob would be taken off his shoulders at the end time. They have done this secretly. So you think there's no conspiracy going on? That's all that there is in the world of man and ever has been since Genesis 1 is conspiracy. And they have been conspiring to kill Jacob ever since. Now, we are not to despise them. We are not to look down upon them. I mean, look back there and read Genesis 27. Look what happened to Esau. Look what Rachel and, and Jacob did to him. I mean, they did it with malice aforethought. Who was in the wrong there? Can you blame him in a human way for taking the attitude he did? I can't. But he has been biding his time, hiding and secretly working to destroy and kill Jacob ever since. Not just the original man Esau, but his descendants ever since. And they are still at work today, and here at the end, they will break our dominion off their neck. And they are doing it through the banking business and through running our country, even though we don't know it. That is, most of Americans do not have any idea what's going on. <clears throat> but they're going to play the trump card pretty quick. The economy is going to crash. It's being set up to do that by these people. And the plug will be pulled when God allows it. Not until he's ready, but it's all set up and ready. Just like when, you know, God had Job there, and Job was going along, his life was going fine, and God set Satan up to take everything away from Job. But it wasn't until God was ready that he approached Satan and told him, Have you seen my servant Job down there? 
and set the whole thing up with Satan. And then Satan, being what he is, decided to go for it. Quickly, he decided that. Didn't take it long. And look what happened to Job. God has set Israel up the same way by Satan and the illumined ones that think they're illumined at least to destroy us. And this economic situation as it now is is so shaky that when God is ready they can pull it down overnight. We'll see that as we get into some specific prophecies about this country. But it will happen in a day, in an hour. So it will be very rapid when it does occur. We just raised our debt limit to $9 trillion. It was at about, what, 8.2, something like that. And we, the Congress had set a debt limit that we couldn't go into debt any more than that. They've raised it now. This was the fourth time so that we don't default on all this. We have to pay interest, see? All this money that we borrowed from the Fed Reserve private bankers, we have to pay back. But we have to, in the meantime, pay interest on it because it is a loan. It's like you get a house loan, they get a loan to, write, to run the government. And they got to pay interest on it, just like we do. So what does it mean when they raise the debt level? It means that they can get those bankers to, pres to print $800 billion more dollars and loan them to the U.S. government so it can pay its bills. So then we have to pay interest on $9 trillion, not $8.2 trillion. That's the way it works. And foreigners are holding a lot of those IOUs in their hands that they have gotten from America through trade and through government loans or gifts or whatever, and they also then, want paid in something of value when it is learned that the American dollar is nothing. And it's just a little piece of paper with nothing behind it but confidence in America. And confidence in America is quickly eroding. Edom is behind that. And the secret thing that he's been doing is going to be made there. And what will happen? He will not be able to hide himself. His seed is spoiled, and his brethren, and his neighbors, and he is not. He won't exist then. Leave your fatherless children, I will preserve them alive, and let your widows trust in me. For thus says the eternal, Behold, they whose judgment was not to drink of the cup have assuredly drunken. Now, God was not going to be angry with Esau if Esau had gotten hold of himself and controlled his attitude. And Hebrews talks about that. Paul discusses it, how he was so bitter that he could not repent, even though he sought it carefully and with tears. God saw what Jacob and Rachel did to Esau. He would not have been against Esau. But it doesn't make any difference what happens in our lives, brethren. We still have the responsibility of having a right attitude, no matter what anyone does to us. That's why Christ explained it in the Sermon on the Mount. If they hit you on one cheek, turn the other. Return not evil for evil. Esau was unable to accomplish that. Had he been able to, God would not have destroyed or would not have written these 
problems about how he will destroy. You weren't supposed to have to drink of this, but since you partook of that attitude, you're going to have to drink it. They too see you're lined up to destroy Israel. Specifically Jacob. Well, that is Israel. But specifically Joseph. For I have sworn by myself, says the Eternal, that Bosra shall become a desolation, a reproach, a waste, and a curse, and all the cities thereof shall be perpetual wastes. I've heard a rumor from the Eternal and an ambassador sent to me, uh, to the heathen, saying, Gather you together and come against her and rise up to the battle. For lo, I will make you small among the heathen and despised among men. Now, a lot of these people who are so-called Jews and think they're Jews or say they're Jews and are not are already despised among men and hated. Hitler was after the religious Jews, not the Ashkenazi Jews, who were basically secular and not religious. There's a recognition at the higher levels of power in the world of the difference between Edomites and true Jews, blood Jews. And believe me, there's a difference between, they understand the difference between true Christians and so-called Christians. They know that too. There'll be no mistake made. Verse 16, your terribleness has deceived you and the pride of your heart, O you that dwell that hold uh, in the clefts of the rock that hold the height of the hill. Traditionally, Edom was over there uh, across from the Dead Sea near Ammon and Moab, <laughs> his neighbors to ancient Israel. Also Edom shall be a desolation. Everyone that goes by it shall be astonished and shall hiss at all the plagues thereof. As in the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbor cities thereof, says the eternal, no man shall abide there, neither shall a son of man dwell in it. Uh, this ties in very well with the book of Obadiah, which is very much placed in the end time prophecies about the church. Specifically the church there. Uh, they'll come after true Israel, not just physical Israel. <clears throat> Let's see, where was I? Verse 19, Behold, you shall come up like a lion from the swelling of Jordan against the habitation of the strong, but I will suddenly make him run away from her, and who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like me, and who will appoint me the time? Who is that shepherd that will stand before me? Therefore hear the counsel of the Eternal that he has taken against Edom and his purposes, that he has purposed against the inhabitants of Teman. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he'll make their habitations desolate with them. The earth is moved at the noise of their fall, at the cry of the noise. The, the, at the cry, the noise thereof was heard in the Red Sea. Behold, he shall come up and fly as the eagle, and spread his wings over Basra, part of Edom. Now, and at that day shall the heart of the mighty men of Edom be as the heart of a woman in her pangs. <laughs> so that's all he says here about Edom. Then he picks up uh, verse 23 concerning Damascus, capital of Syria today. Hamath is confounded, and Arpad, for they have heard evil tidings. They are faint-hearted. There is sorrow on the sea, and it cannot be quiet. They will participate in the destruction of our country. And then they, too, are going to have destruction. 
Verse 25, How is the city of praise not left, the city of my joy? Therefore her young men shall fall in her streets, and all the men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the eternal of hosts. And I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall consume the palaces of Ben-Hadad. So Syria is going down too. Then concerning Kadar, and concerning the kingdoms of Hatsor, which Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon shall smite, Thus says the Eternal, Arise, you go up to Kador and spoil the men of the east. Now, it's interesting here, and I think it confirms what I've been saying, that the king of Babylon, which can be defined as the king of the United States, we're going to go into that in chapter 50, along with uh, some other scriptures. The Babylon series covered it, but I want to do a, a little bit of a review here and go into some places in Daniel and Revelation to show very clearly that these chapters 50 and 51 are about the king of Babylon in the latter days, and it is America today. I think that can be proved beyond any real shadow of doubt. <laughs> so the king of Babylon is going to smite some of these peoples. Now, if we go into Daniel, uh, we'll find that there is a ram and a goat there in chapter 8. We've talked about this before, and that the goat from the West will destroy the horn of one of the, of the ram, and then the horn that comes up after it is destroyed. And I really think that that's probably talking about Iraq and Iran and Syria may be attacked along with Iran. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but that should happen fairly soon in the coming months. And then the ram loses his horn. I mean, the goat loses his horn. So. Not too long after we destroy Iran and possibly Syria, uh, we as Babylon are going to fall. But this is talking about the king of Babylon smiting some of these people, and this is in the latter days. We'll see that here in just a moment to confirm that. Arise, you go up to Kadar and spoil the men of the east. So if Babylon is America today, what are we in the process of? Spoiling the men of the east right now. What's going on? Their tents and their flocks shall they take away. They shall take to themselves their curtains and all their vessels and their camels. America wouldn't go anywhere to take anything from anyone, would they? We may not have conquered every nation on earth with military might and then annexed them to the United States. Our kingdom, our empire, is political and economic. Right now, we control money in the world. We control the politics. People have to do what we say to do. And that will change dramatically. But we are not doing it benignly just to spread democracy and love and peace around the world. We are doing it out of greed and desire for treasure and money. We will steal from those people anything we can. And our Wealth is being built right now on the peasant labor of various peoples around the world. All right, uh, verse 30. Flee, get you far off, well deep, O you inhabitants of Hatsor, says the Eternal. For Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has taken counsel against you and has conceived a purpose against you. We are formulating those plans right now, today, in Washington, D.C. 
Arise, get you up into the wealthy nation, that dwells without care, says the Eternal, neither have, which have neither gates nor bars, which dwell alone. And their camels shall be a booty, and the multitude of their cattle a spoil. And I will scatter in all winds them that are in the utmost corners, and I will bring their calamity from all sides, sides says the Eternal. And Hathor shall be a dwelling for dragons, and a desolation forever. There shall no man abide there, nor any son of man dwell in it. Okay, verse 34. The word of the Eternal that came to Jeremiah the prophet against Elam. I mentioned that earlier. That's apparently kind of northeast of Turkey, uh, in that section where the Elamites traditionally were. And as I said, many of them converted to the religion of Judaism way back and then migrated into Europe, some of them, and are behind the banks of Europe and America today. The word Rothschild originally meant red badge or red shield, and that is a communist symbol today, and it is the symbol of the Rothschild family. They changed it from red badge to Rothschild, or child of the red. And they are some of the biggest bankers, and they're part of this Illuminati and world-ruling end-time beast power. So, some of those people are being talked about right here. Thus says the Eternal of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the chief of their might. And upon Elam will I bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven, and will scatter them toward all those winds. And there shall be no nation where the outcasts of Elam shall not come. Uh, these so-called Jews are going to be scattered around the world. For I will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies, and before them that seek their life. And I will bring evil upon them, even my fierce anger, says the Eternal. And I will send the sword after them till I have consumed them. And I will set my throne in Elam, and will destroy from thence the king and the princes, says the Eternal. God is going to have a world-ruling empire, and he's going to set his throne among them too. They think they rule, but they won't. But it shall come to pass in the latter days that I will turn again the captivity of Elam, says the Eternal. So this prophecy comes out finishing right at the end of this age. So these prophecies are not just about ancient countries. They're about people who are living, breathing, walking today and who have to do with Israel and what is about to be the fate of Israel. So we're going to read about our fate God willing, next week when we get into chapter 50. Very, very interesting reading, whereas this might be a little dull to us. I'm sorry for that. But next week it will be far more uh, poignant and far more meaningful because it is about us. This today, and yes, and last week, are mainly about those who will do it to us. But now we're going to find out what's going to be done to us and how it's going to happen and how it's all going to come down. So I look forward to going into that because it has great meaning for us and we need to be alert and active and alive to what is happening in the world.